if you are depressed and you respond to a drug like Prozac, then the question is why aren't you making enough of your own serotonin or why are you not responding to it? And that's a short preview of what's coming up on today's episode. Hi, welcome to the Uncovery Podcast. I'm your host, Mahalia Jane. Every episode, I take you on a journey talking about life, well-being and mental healing. The Uncovery connects with different people from different places who share stories of growth and enlightenment. It's my passion and privilege to be here guiding you with my own truth and experiences because it is possible to live in a beautiful state. On today's episode, I welcome Dr. Sinclair Bodhi, who is an all-round amazing human being. Not only has he contributed to many people's lives looking at alternative ways that we can heal, Dr. Sinclair Bodhi was actually, in fact, the general practitioner who really helped me and contributed to my recovery with my anxiety disorder and depression. And while some of the information may be relevant to you today, not all of this information should be taken as a medical appointment. And I encourage you to seek medical or specialist attention if you do need it. Now, before I start this episode, I would just like to highlight when I rocked up to do this interview with Sinclair, my second microphone broke and I did not want to take up much of his time. So I had to keep it quite short and I was recording through one microphone, but it's still a great interview and I still was able to pick up his voice and my voice through one microphone. Yeah, hi, my name's Sinclair Bodie. I'm a general practitioner. I've been working for 33 years since graduating as a medico. I spent the first few years working in the hospital system before going to Broken Hill as part of a GP training. I was supposed to be there for three months in a public hospital setting, but uh, got caught there for three years. Um, I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. And... um, yeah, sort of in the mid, mid-90s when I was back in Adelaide, I became more aware of the fact that there were things that I couldn't deal with as a doctor that weren't being dealt with by other specialists, which is the, the usual model. And people were coming back to me and they were getting answers, seeing allied practitioners. And so I became interested in thinking outside of the square, you know, doing acupuncture, Chinese medicine, hypnotherapy and eventually nutritional medicine, which gave me a way of thinking about the biochemistry of um, how the body worked. So if you are depressed and you respond to a neurotransmitter, sorry, you respond to a drug like Prozac, then the question is why aren't you making enough of your own serotonin or why are you not responding to it? And If you understand what serotonin is made from, and that is a um, amino acid called tryptophan, which is converted to 5-hydroxytryptophan. If you understand the cofactors that are important to those enzyme processes, then it gives you tools to find another way of helping people, but also avoiding some of the side effects and complications that you get when you prescribe drugs. So um, I guess that is what took me on this path. I love it. And that's what actually um, brought me to your office. I was on four different types of medication, I think. And I was feeling the worst I've ever felt in my life. 
So th- something that, that I had never thought of is looking at all of the things inside of me that make up who I am. Yeah, yeah. you know, what's yeah. your diet like? How's your gut working? Yes. Um, are you able to absorb those nutrients? Mm-hmm. Are there blocks on your ability to be able to use them? Do you have pathways that are not working um, because of deficiencies or toxicities or yeah. um, genetic reasons? And how do we get them working if we can? Mm. So is your approach with people that present with if we just focus on someone who's presenting in a position similar to my my story and me just really unstable in terms of their mental health is your approach quite similar or do you do you judge it differently on their history or how they're presenting you take all of that into consideration so it's not just one blanket approach that fits everything that's lazy And I'd argue that that's selling short the skills that I've acquired as a general practitioner. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I'll I'll deal with a diversity of issues. You know, a lot of them are complex behavioural problems and particularly in kids with autism that are very damaged. You know, restlessness, they can't sit still. They've been on lots of different medications that work um, imperfectly and sometimes not well. So how do I then make a difference to that child and that family so that a, a child that is very dysfunctional in a family, which is generally very dysfunctional as a result, um, how do you get the best out of that situation? And sometimes you find that the medications are part of the problem and if you think differently, you can find other ways and other answers at times and sometimes they work very, very well. Mm. You know, as an example, one of the things we were not taught about as doctors was much about food reactivity. Mm. Now, um, a lot of people in Australia these days are gluten-free, okay? Not many of them are celiacs. Yes. For, for about every one person who's a celiac, there are 10 people that are gluten-free in their diet. And we as doctors kind of shrug our shoulders and sometimes worse and say to patients, well, you know, there's no evidence that you're a celiac. Well, that doesn't mean that they're not gluten-reactive. They may react in ways that don't make antibodies so that you don't have an immunological marker that tells you this person is gluten-reactive. So what happens for some of these people is they can't break down parts of the gluten molecule most particularly the the gliadin fragment, and there are a series of seven amino acids within that gliadin component that can have an opiate effect on the gut and on the brain. So you can get brain fogging Mm. and feel fatigued Mm. and um, become constipated and addicted to that food. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of children who are on the spectrum are actually reacting to gluten and to casein because their gut wall is not healthy and fragments of these molecules are coming into the body and having an impact on not just the gut but on the brain. And when you identify that and eliminate that food, which is often difficult to do, um, you can have a profound effect in terms of waking up that child. So that opiate reaction... Uh, is because of a lack of an enzyme. That enzyme is called dipeptididase 4 or DPP4. And giving DPP4 or withdrawing gluten and dairy mm-hmm. uh, for some of these children is just a game changer. Wow. 
and it may also mean that they can withdraw some of the medications if their behaviour is very much better and they're more alert. There's not really one approach, is there? No, there's not. Yeah. You know, you sort of you think of diet, you think of the gut wall, you, you think of nutrients you might be uh, depleted in. Um, you know, that's one dimension. There is the use of selected nutrients, um, things like cannabis. Uh, as an example, I do a lot of cannabis um, work, um, but I'll also use supplements, things like SAMe, vitamin D, uh, N-acetylcysteine, um, zinc frequently, magnesium. And these things can really uh, have profound effects in terms of improving mm. cognitive skills, enzyme pathways, understanding that there might be significant alterations in the gut biome and giving appropriate help to get a better biome can also make a difference. And this is something that I've been lucky enough to have learned about 15, 20 years ago. It's just something that we're starting to talk about as doctors in the last three or four years. And I still feel like it's not front of mind. But when it comes to a lot of brain functionality, there's a lot of head doctors out there, there's a lot of doctors, but we're not really looking at what's going on in the brain and if that's linked to the gut. So my, a lot of my stuff and I'm still learning about it, comes from my gut, which mm. you did identify. Mm. Um, and there's so much research now, like proper research that is showing that our gut is our second brain. Mm. Talking about the biome, for instance, yeah. um, our current model of thinking mm -hmm. is very prescriptive. What can you give me to change my biome? Okay, What particular probiotic should I be in, in you know, or on Dr Bodie? And it's just medical thinking. It's just so short of the mark. I mean, the point is that your biome interacts with what you're eating every day. So if you change what you're eating, um, you will change your biome day by day. You will, you will have an influence on changing your biome. If you have a diversity of foods, you're likely to have a larger diversity within your biome, which we know is a good thing. If you put poisons into your mouth... And that can include things like preservatives, of course, um, antibiotics. Those things, antifungals, they will alter the biome, OK? Um, but the biome isn't just what's in your gut. The biome's what is in your mouth, what you've got on your skin. Mm. It's also on the soil, you know? Mm. <laughs> you think about how we evolved. You yeah. know, we would pull something out of the soil and eat it. You know, we wouldn't scrub it and peel it. We didn't have running clean water. <laughs> and, you know... Often these root vegetables would be in soils where we and other animals were defecating. So there was a kind of a dynamic... And now we're talking about faecal microbial transplants as if this is a new thing, but in fact... It's old. It's old. Yeah. We've done it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it worked. Yeah. We were healthy. Well, it's how we evolved. And yeah. you can look at biomes in different communities and they're quite different. And it's because they have um, contact with the soil and with their food that the... the biome of um, vegetarians, vegans in India will be very different from the biome of vegans in Australia, will be very different from the biomes of potentially meat eaters. Those that have very limited foods are going to have more limited biomes. And, you know, then there are things like caesarean birth, you know, that has an impact on the kind of biome that you're exposed to. It's fascinating stuff. It is. How have you gone then thinking holistic 
but being a general practitioner, have you been challenged? Or- the thing that that I have a passion for is to make a difference, okay? Yeah. And if somebody comes into me with a problem and I can't help them with an approach, then what else can I do? I need to look outside of... I, I need to look for other answers in a sense. Now, many of the people that come in and see me come in specifically because they haven't had answers from others who are doing the sort of thinking that, that we taught to do prescriptively when we come out of medical school. I guess after 30 years plus of looking for other answers and doing other courses and and listening to your patients, look, I'm, a, I, I'm lucky enough to have patients that come back to me and they're better and it's not because of what I did, it's because of what someone else did. And I sit on the edge of my chair and I say, OK, tell me what happened, what did they do, how did they do that? And that gives you the opportunity to know and I'll write down the names of people that I hear recurrently are making a difference to others so that I know that I can use them when I recognise there's a piece of the puzzle they may be able to put together that I can't. Mm. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, how else can you learn? You know, if, if, if you think, look, you know, as a young man when I came out of medical school in the first year or two I was frightened and really struggling to, to keep up not frightened, exhilarated but overawed. There was so much to learn. Within a few years, I guess in in, in the hospital system you were good at doing what you did, but it was very limited. Mm. When I left the hospital system, I thought I was a good doctor and it wasn't until I became a general practitioner and was confronted with things that I had no answer to chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, chemical sensitivities, people with behavioural issues, people with depression that weren't responding to medication, that I realised how much more there was to know and how limited my approach was. Yeah. I guess that opens doors to thinking in other ways if you actually choose to see those doors and open them. Have you lost patients who find the textbook approach easier? I guess I have. To be honest, it's hard to get in to see me, you know. I'm sort of... I don't take that many patients on. And, you know, people are prepared to wait and looking for an answer. They're more inclined, I suppose, to be motivated to listen to what you have to say. But I'm pretty good also at gauging when what I'm asking is not going to work. You can see it in body language. You can see it in eye contact. So you can read people's Well, you can. So, you know, you have a child that's sort of walking over the walls and up the ceilings of your room... And you're busy saying to mum, you've got to get them off gluten, and that's the only thing you'll eat. You know, you'll never see them again. <laughs> yes. That's so, a good point. Yeah. So, so what you do is you say, look, I think gluten might be an issue, but there are some other things going on that we need to tackle first. Mm. The other thing you can do when you are giving a person a task that they can't see themselves completing is you can actually take them on a journey with just a few words. So you can say, just imagine coming back here in six weeks' time, you have more energy than you've had in years, your head is clear, your tummy feels great, you didn't know that you could feel this well and all you've done is taken XYZ out of your diet. The point is that if you, with your words, take them on that journey just for an instant, give them the feeling that in the future they may actually have the opportunity to be healthy again, they're more likely to walk down a path that you're taking them on to get there. 
The other thing is you, you, you know, you also don't set people up. It's like I'll say to people, look, if you come back here in six weeks' time and you haven't been able to do it, that's cool. I won't judge you. You know, we're all human. Yeah. And just try it, you yeah. know. Just give it a go. What about people who get better through discovering what they need, what they don't need, changing yeah. their approach, changing what they eat, what they take, who then do it, it works amazingly, and then they're presented with something else down the tra- track? Well, you, there's always got to be reason for why. So, mm. so if I'm reading your question correctly, if, if you are given a solution and it's working for a while but then it no longer works what else needs to be taken into consideration my approach to complex health issues is it's not one thing there are pieces to a puzzle it's a jigsaw and if you can find enough significant pieces to the puzzle you might need to find every piece but if you've found four or five pieces and the picture's starting to come out Maybe the rest of the puzzle will sort itself out. Maybe it's not important to find all the other pieces to the puzzle. And then just sometimes maybe you're missing a significant piece and that becomes apparent over time and then you go back to it. And The other thing is that we all lead dynamic lives. You know, we're getting older. Um, Things are changing in the environment. We don't eat the same things every day. We don't... You know, we go through relationship breakups, we develop a tumour, whatever. Those things are going to change who you are when you get them or when you experience that stress. And that might then need to be dealt with and it might need to be dealt with in a different way. And what got you to a position of health beforehand, whilst it was relevant, isn't sufficient and you need to find something else, yeah. you know, psychological intervention. Yeah. Sometimes just listening to a person and being supportive, looking them in the eye and they mm. look, that's awful. So for someone who is unable to see you, for example, in your approach, and they're struggling, what's a simple thing that we can think to do or what's a mindset that we can have around a way of approaching illness? I think we're too willing to surrender our power to others. I think we need to be proactive for our own health. Instead of running to lots of doors and knocking on them and saying, what can you do to help me? We need to have the courage to actually look in the mirror and say, what can I do to change this in a positive way? So that would be my first thing. The answers are all around us if we choose to look. And if you can't find the answers with the people that you're seeking help with don't be afraid to look within or to seek help from another direction that's fantastic do you have another client here i don't want to I, I'm, uh, really, I'm really conscious yeah, of like <laughs> just about time. to no no it's okay do you have any time to just share like a really quick story of someone you've helped obviously without giving their identity away just an example i saw someone yesterday for the second time And she came to me about a month ago and she had a huge swelling on the side of her neck. And she was told it was a tumour and that it it needed chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And it didn't sit comfortably with her. She didn't want to do that, Okay, which is pretty courageous, really. So I get people like that. And, And the question is, how do you help people like that? Well, in her case, I listened to her story and her story was that she'd had 
some dental work done and a few weeks later a lump started to appear on the left side of her neck and got bigger and bigger over a period of months and she then went to a GP and they sort of um, organised scans and blood tests and and then ultimately a biopsy. And the interesting thing is that I looked at the report of the biopsy and of the scans, and on the biopsy there were no malignant cells found. And I thought, I wonder if this is an infective thing. So I, I did some things. The first thing is I thought, well, vitamin D, it's going to be low on this lady, have a blood test, and then immediately after the blood test have a single dose of vitamin D, 100,000 units, which is just what I chose to do on this occasion because when I need to help this, this lady quickly. We also did some other blood tests. We sort of looked at mercury because she'd actually had her amalgams removed prior to this lump coming up. I looked at selenium, some zinc. Um, but the other thing I did was I understand that there can be bacteria in the mouth and at the base of teeth that um, can make people quite unwell. And I wondered whether she had that, so I, I organised an OPG, which is an X-ray of her jaw, and then I gave her a script for an antibiotic. Now, this is all in the first consult, the 40-minute consult, and it was like, come and see me in a few weeks' time, we'll go through the results, see how you've done with what we've started. The other thing she had was she had a lot of pain on the left side of her head right the way up to... Um, her temporal area and she couldn't sleep properly at night and then that was because this mass which was now 12 by 10 odd centimetres and raised about 3 centimetres was pushing on a muscle and some nerves the steroclidomastoid muscle anyway saw this lady again yesterday lo and behold the, the lump had reduced in size by 2 centimetres in one direction and 1.5 and in the other her headaches are gone within a couple of days of starting the treatment. So I don't know why she's responding and I don't know whether she's going to respond completely. But it's just amazing to see people respond in that situation. Now, she came to me because the diagnosis didn't sit comfortably with her. She and then when feel it intuitively almost. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I, I've got to be careful not to condone patients to do that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. You know, they should be listening to their experts. But when it doesn't sit comfortably, what tends to happen is those experts will disempower that person, they'll denigrate them, they'll put them down. I chose to listen to her story and try to work with her. Now, it was going to work or it wasn't, and obviously if the lump gets bigger, and I think I said that on the first occasion, if this doesn't work quickly, you need to do something else. But just to see that change in a few short weeks, I reckon it was two weeks. since You I also went back to the source of what it could have probably come Well, I listened from. to her story. Yeah. I didn't assume it was a tumour. It was like, well, if it's not that, what is it? You know, and why did it come on yeah. after this work on her teeth? You know, could it be an infection? So on spec, we haven't got much time here. Let's work quickly. Do some things to help your immune system, vitamin D, zinc. Look for the cause of the problem, you know, X-ray, bloods, and let's try an antibiotic and something else that might make a difference. Mm -hmm. And headache's gone completely. Like yeah. she, you know, she knew 
within a few days that things were changing. But then yesterday, she didn't realise it had shrunk as much as it had until I got out the tape measure. Were you as surprised or... Because did you... I was delighted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was delighted. I, I, yeah, I was surprised. I'm, I'm more delighted for her. And I just hope mm. that we can find a solution and see her through the other side because that would mean that she doesn't have unnecessary treatment, you know, that, that we found another way. Do you feel like the, the Western model, the medical model, failed her? I think the people she saw failed her. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, they failed themselves. They failed themselves because they assumed that they knew what was going on. Mm. And yet, you know, even when you looked at the cytology report from the final aspiration biopsy, there was no... The comment was there were no malignant cells found. kind of makes me feel ill thinking about that because we put so much trust and faith into doctors and like you said... You're Do you not... know what? None of us are infallible. But maybe if you can learn something from the mistakes that you have and have humility when you listen to stories and when you when your decision isn't correct, you know, you have the chance to learn and be better. Yeah. You're like the, uh, t- did you ever watch that show House or hear about House from yeah, years did, ago? Yeah, yeah. And the grumpy doctor with the walking stick. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like the nice, tall, friendly version of House. Okay. Well, you, <laughs> you, you look at, you go much deeper. And everyone loved that show. Yeah. It was the most popular show, so it says a lot about... Well, that's very kind of you. Yeah, it's true. That concludes another episode of The Uncovery. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this space with me. Before you go, I would love to remind you that if you are struggling with self-love, anxiety or gaining momentum, you do not need to walk alone. I'm here to empower you, to really help you throw your excuses away and to get clear on purposeful living. It is my passion, as I say, to help you truly live in a beautiful state. So in saying that, I have some very exciting news. I am finally opening up more space and energy to work with new people. So if you are wanting to join my community of warriors, if you would love to work with me one-on-one, if you feel drawn to making this year your year and you know that you deserve this time for transformation, please jump into the description of this episode to book a free no obligation call with me. So with that all being said, I am so excited to bring another episode to you this week. Yes, two episodes in one week. So please make sure you subscribe not to miss out on this extremely amazing episode, which is all about creating productivity in your life, how you can create an extraordinary life just using simple life hacks. Until then, be well, look after yourself. And if you're feeling generous and you want to help the Uncovery podcast, please share this episode. Please share content and make sure you subscribe, review and subscribe again. (laughs) Bye.